0: Greetings and welcome to DWR, Discussions on Writing and Rhetoric, a space for informal conversations around research and practice in the field at the university level, a place inclusive for curious novices, blossoming scholars, and seasoned academics to consider and share their inquiries, experiences, and passions surrounding writing and rhetoric. We are your hosts, Professors Megan Faulkner and Nicholas Gardiakos, with the University of Central Florida. Thank you for joining us. Now let's get this conversation started. Today, we are happy to shine a light on something near and dear to both Nick and myself. Here at UCF, the Department of Writing and Rhetoric holds an annual event called Knight's Write Showcase to celebrate the work of student writers this event began in 2010 as a place to highlight and share the research and writing occurring in the first year writing program, and has since become a multi day event that encompasses work in composition courses, writing across the curriculum, our three departmental publications, Stylus, Convergence, and Imprint, the Writing Center, undergraduate and graduate student work, with several multi person panels speaking about their research and poster presentations. The event concludes with prizes for outstanding work, including a scholarship. And Knight's Right is not just for those enrolled as major or minors. Students from across a variety of disciplines are invited to participate and share the work created in our courses. It is a fantastic way to celebrate our incredible students with the added benefit of showing the university the impact of our courses on a student's academic journey. Today, we'll be speaking with scholars from this year's event with both panelists and poster presenters. Our first guest is Jamie Salter whose project was titled Learning to Keep Up. Jamie is a junior here at UCF and produced this project in Pamela Baker's 1101 course. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Can you give us an overview of what your
1: project was about? All right, so just to like kind of summarize my project, it was basically asking the question, do writers have more to learn? And in this research, I had to interview someone. So I interviewed my mom because she has a lot of writing under her belt. Like she's written a book. She's songwrites, um, and she's also a preacher, so I felt she was good to, like, get some information from when asking this question. And then, like, I also had to use, like, the sources we read in class and just also incorporate my own experience. So the things that, like, I learned through asking this question was just, like, you know, we have to really, you know, know, like, what's popular, like, what's trending, or, like, learn, like, teachers patterns like in terms of like learning how to know how to write for certain people like genres and then also just adapting to our different environments like how to write on social media versus an email or knowing what's appropriate in those situations so that's pretty much what my project was about and what I learned through asking that question.
2: Cool. So, what was it like to interview and, and use your mom as a kind of a source for for your project to do a little research? Um, what was her reaction when you when you uh, brought up the idea to her?
1: Well, she was very excited because she honestly loves anytime I bring anything about writing up to her um, because she's a writer herself. So she was like, "Oh yay! Like my daughter like has the same passion that I do." So she was very excited to. Um, interview for this and I'd say it was like it was interesting learning from her because I've never really asked her about her writing like I guess for an academic thing or just like to learn more about it I kind of just like knew that she did these things but to learn about her own process and her own struggles and accomplishes through her career was nice to know.
0: So now I'm just curious for myself what kind of um, writing does she do or has
1: she published? So she has written a book. She's, um, sh- It was about um, just the dating world, like, as being a Christian. So oh. the book is titled The Confessions of a Teenage Christian. Um, and then she's also a preacher, so she writes sermons all the time. And then she is a songwriter. Um, she has an album called I'm a Winner. So she um, just, I don't know how she figured out how to write songs. Like, it kind of just comes to her. Um, So like that's also something I would like to start doing like doing songs and stuff like that so I can learn from her in that aspect as well.
0: As you did the work in the course and you started to learn about things like these repeating genre um, mm-hmm. conventions that help us as writers, did you find that you already kind of instinctively knew a, a lot about that? Because it sounds like your mom has a good understanding of mm-hmm. what to do, given the constraints of a particular genres. given that she writes across at least three of them that you've named. yeah. Did you feel like, oh, wow, like I didn't realize I knew so much of this already? Or was it like a big aha moment for you when you were doing the work in the class?
1: Um, I do feel like I knew about it already, but I guess not as in-depth as I got into the project and doing more research. So it's just, like, I know the basis, and, like, as writers, I feel like we always just know, like, the foundations of it all, but there's always, like, we can always dive deeper into it.
0: Yeah. I think instinctively, we often understand the conventions of a genre, like mm-hmm. the way you write in a birthday card to your friend isn't the way you write in a birthday card to a grandparent. Yeah. You know, like we understand there's those, <laughs> those audience constraints. Um, but yeah, it's, it's growing up with that so much embedded in us. I think it is around us all the time. And I think the difference between um, maybe writers who need a little bit more help. And mm-hmm. writers that can maybe jump right in is that understanding from the get go that these yeah. particular situations have constraints and also um, can help us produce things in them.
2: I think what's so interesting about your project, too, is looking at like a writer's process, yeah. and a writer's process, like in these different like situations. So I was wondering if you could share with us, like what were some of your like main takeaways from looking at your mom's like writing process and how she kind of adapts to different situations and audiences what were some of your major takeaways
1: as my major takeaways is definitely like not every audience like responds the same way as others do and that you have to like if you are writing for a particular audience you have to think about okay like what can i do to like make them feel something from my writing and that's something she really experiences as she preaches from different churches and like we might not think about it as much as students but I have to think about, like, you know, how can I make my teacher, you know, feel that I really put effort into this, that I care about what they're asking me to do. And even in my personal writing, like, what kind of audience do I want to reach and how can I make that connection?
0: So I think a big part of that is the transition from um creating this paper where you i think as a student we all have a good sense of what to put into a paper maybe it was Mm -hmm. a different type of paper than you've written before but you knew kind of going into it the appropriate tone and you know you would include sources etc talk us through the process of then trying to capture that and put it into a poster because you were a poster presenter for nights right so what was that process like and what what thought or um focus did you put into certain parts of it how did how did that go
1: I would say it definitely made me think more critically about my writing because I had to think about what were the most important points for me to um, present on the poster. So I printed out my essay, but obviously I didn't put my entire essay on the poster because, you know, not all of that is relevant to what I wanted to say. So like taking um, those points and putting on the poster, I'd say like it was I guess it's kind of difficult to be like, okay, like what visuals are going to help me um, put my point across more? And how am I going to set it up in a way that flows in a way that my audience can be like, okay, so she did this and then this happened. And it was just like, it was interesting because I haven't done like a poster like that probably since like elementary school. So I was like, okay, so like how do I even make this like look pretty um, in general instead of just putting, you know, stuff on a poster so that was an interesting um, process.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the real uh, tricks to the poster presentation because it's like a three-panel yeah. science fair type of type of situation going on there. Um, so I thought you did a, a great job doing Thank that. Thank you. Um, th- my, que- my next question was um, – Part of what happens at the night's Ride event for the poster presenters is that there's a lot of students that come in. Um, the day that you were poster presenting, I had all my classes uh, coming in that day um, on, on the Wednesday and uh, talking to all the, the you know, poster presenters and people that were talking about their work. So I want to know what was that experience like talking to a bunch of other students about your work? Did you, obviously you talked about, you know, what your project was about and the findings. Um, Did you also talk about the process of, like, doing the work? Did you get any interesting questions from students that you were talking to uh, on the day of the event?
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't presented like that, I don't think, ever. So it was definitely a new experience for me. I would say in terms of, like, getting questions from students, a lot of them were just asking, like, um, a lot of them asked about my mom and, like, oh, like, how was that, like, having your mom being an author and, like, doing all this stuff, like, how was that, like, growing up? Um, so I thought that was an interesting question. Um, I had a couple students ask about my own personal writing experience because I brought up a time that I went to um, a writing course at NYU over the summer. So they were like, oh, well, how was that? Because i never taken like a creative writing course. So how was it to experience that in a college environment instead of just doing it on your own? So I felt that was really interesting, you know, talk about my own writing experience and g- basically give them advice. So I was like, kind of in a position where, like, people were, like, looking to me, like, to learn something. And that was honestly pretty cool for me as a writer. I was like, oh, wow, like, I have something to share and enlighten people about.
0: Having grown up with writing being such an integral part of your, like, formative experience, Mm -hmm. um, how much of of those writing processes that you witnessed have you either absorbed and duplicated when you go to write or like consciously pushed up against like, I can't
1: work like that when it comes to approaching your work? Um, I would say me and my mom both work best under pressure. <laughs> so <laughs> that is something I definitely kind of took up from her. Like, um if I have a paper to write like the night before, like I'll definitely like bust it out and do my best the same way. Like if she has a sermon to preach the next day, you know, she's going to pull an all-nighter. So I definitely took that from her. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) I just feel like also, um, we're both very detailed and just passionate about what we're writing about. So, Um, I don't like to slack when it comes to what's actually in the writing and like the content and neither does she So that's something that I took into my own writing career
0: Is there anything that you saw that you're like no that doesn't work for me or you have found it doesn't work for you?
1: Um, hmm. I'd have to think about that. I feel like just um off of first thought no not really um Because, I mean, when she writes, she kind of does it like a student would do, like study and figure out um, what works in it, what doesn't work. So I feel like it's been pretty helpful. Yeah.
2: I'm curious, in the context of the class that you wrote the paper in, Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the things that you like read about or talked about in the class, like concepts um, that we talk about in in our composition courses here? Um, that kind of led you to, you know, writing about this project, or, you know, ones that kind of really struck a chord with you or stood out to you as being like, oh, I, I, I like this, I think I can do something with with this kind of concept.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like um, with um, the stuff that we read in that class, um, particularly Victor Villanueva, um, he was just writing about how he went from, you know, coming from a Spanish speaking country to America and how that change was so different for him. And he really had to navigate the writing world here in order to be successful. And I think that's definitely something like we can all relate to, like how to navigate different um, areas, different environments. And also just um in our class, we read um an insert from like Mike Rose, where he was talking about um, different rhetorics to use um, to present to different audiences, so I felt that that was also helpful, especially when it came to my project.
0: yeah, it's a shift too, I think, in eleven o one for a lot of students, and you can either agree or disagree it's no pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think it's the first time you really get a chance to write for yourself yeah you know yes there's a grade attached and yes you have a due date and all of that stuff but it's it's a very different shift from writing you may have done in school previously where it's you're writing to your teacher to demonstrate understanding of something this is more about actually thinking about the things that connect to your experience expressing how those things resonate with you or impact you and taking a look at it as a writer I think that's a big difference for 1102 Um, so I love that you were able to also not just embrace that part of of transitioning from a, like a high school student to a college student, but that you were able to pull so much for your own personal life, I think is really incredible. Um, was there anything else about the experience that really stood out to you or that you feel like has um, changed your perspectives on writing or the way that you approach writing going forward?
1: Um, I feel like The presenting part, definitely, (laughs) because I had to talk for like two hours straight. So I guess in general, that made me think about my writing in the way like, what if I have to present this one day? So that was something that really stood out to me because I never, you know, anytime you write, you're just like, okay, I'm just doing this for a grade or I'm just doing this for me or, you know, for somebody else. But like you never think about or at least I never thought about, you know, what if I have to go up and speak about this? So that is just um, something that was pretty interesting to me and i guess also um what i liked about yesterday was the speaker that we had um she had some valuable things to say because just like one of the sources that i used in my um writing she also came from a speaking um country a a spanish-speaking country sorry and to the u.s so it's really interesting to learn about other people's um writing journey
2: yeah, that keynote speaker was Dr. Laura Gonzalez, um,
1: University
0: of Florida, I believe. is yeah. where she's currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you.
2: And formerly of UCF. Yeah, so that a proud was,
0: alumni. Yeah. Uh,
2: so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think you know one of the one of the great things about the event is the students presenting because it sort of takes your work outside of the classroom mm-hmm. from doing the like assignment to actually like kind of seeing it have an effect on an audience like right there in front of you. Like you said, you were, you know, talking nonstop to, to students that were coming by. Um, and that was really great. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's a really interesting kind of experience to go from, you know, the paper you wrote in class to, uh, to presenting. Um, is that something that, that you think you might want to do again or, or you know, um, uh, an experience that, that, you know, you think that you might use uh, in the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. So I felt like I kind of want to do this more often. So I guess now when I think about writing, I'm just like, okay, well, what if I present this to an audience? Because that is something that I would like to do. I did like sharing the knowledge that I had to other students. So I felt like that was really helpful in terms of my own writing career and learning about other people. So it's definitely something I would want to do in the future.
0: Do you have a declared major yet?
1: Um... Kind of. Um, I'm a business major, actually. Some people were like surprised. They're like, wait, what? Why are you here then? (laughs) So, but I've always enjoyed writing. I might add writing as a minor. So. um, Well, I was just thinking even...
0: As a professional, it's not uncommon to attend Mm -hmm. conferences and have to speak about the the work that you've created and things that are important to you and finding that connection and how to express that passion um, in a professional and uh, professional environment is a little bit different than like being excited and talking to a colleague or someone one on one. So it is a great experience to give you that taste of, wow, this is me sharing what, is, what matters to me, the work that I've done with mm-hmm. an audience of, you know, like-minded individuals um, in that kind of environment. So that's great, too.
2: So uh, we are closing in on the time we have for this uh, segment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to know, was there anything that you wanted to share? You mentioned, you know, the, the creative writing workshop at NYU and, and talking to students about your own writing. Um, and I was wondering if there was anything you wanted to share about your own Uh, your own creative writing, you know, what are the things that inspire you or, or what are sort of the, you know, the, the themes or ideas that, that you're interested in exploring in your own writing?
1: Um, I would say like in my own writing, I mainly like gain inspiration from being by myself. (laughs) Um, I really just like to just like sit in quiet, observe like my area. Um, a lot of times, like maybe I'll just like go outside and just like, you know, just start writing. Um, Usually like I do that if I'm like writing for poetry or if I am writing like a short story, I may think about past experience that I could kind of tweak and make into like a fictional kind of story and just basing off like off of things that I've like read in the past and mixing those kinds of things with my own experience so that in general like like, it could feel down to earth what I'm writing about and more relatable.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. You're welcome.
2: Yeah, thank you.
3: You're
0: welcome. We're joined now by Megan Dever and Parker Bowles, both poster presenters at Knights Right Showcase. Thanks so much for coming and talking to us. So, Megan, your poster was about a project you did called Fabulation or the Re-Education of Theatrical Literacies. Can you give us a little overview as to what that project covered?
4: Yeah of course um so fun fact I'm a history major and a theater minor so upon coming to UCF I realized that one of the requirements for um the theater degree is to participate backstage in like their technical theater program and I'd never done that before because you know I'd been like an actor and I love to be on stage but i would never been like behind stage so when I like signed up for that class I realized um why not write a history or why not write um a paper about this because this is such like an interesting topic so i talked to my professor and we had like come up with like how can i talk about this experience like in my writing and stuff so we decided to um you know she said just go for it just write down what you know or write down what you see and i said yeah i'll do that and now i discovered the like l- hidden literacies behind backstage because upon like trying to research my project i noticed that there's like no scholarship on the subject like at all even in like the professional field there's like little to no like articles essays research about the subject of like technical theater so by golly i wanted to help contribute to that um very tragic um you know lack of scholarship so that's how my like little project was born um So it was a lot of fun and I really got to learn a lot about myself and kind of the world of backstage theater. How hard it is, it's not easy at all. Um, So yeah, it was a really rewarding experience. So I talked about the hidden literacies and um, I broke my research down in like three um, subjects. I broke it down into repurposing. I broke it down into acquisition and then like emotional like literacy or emotional labor. And I just talked about how those three combined to create the show, I guess you can say. Wow. So
0: my immediate thought was you were talking about stage directions and that kind of a liter- <laughs> like that literacy. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting that you're it's a whole other thing. And so you're also um, indicating a gap in the current research with what the work that you did. Um, and Parker, you did a presentation on who to trust building authority in rhetoric. Can you walk us through that a little bit in terms of what the project was about?
3: Yeah. So with the original paper, it That was the topic, was how do you build authority through rhetoric and the tools used for that, Um, specifically in like creative nonfiction essays. Um, So as I was writing the paper, I started using just like credibility and authority interchangeably. Like they sound like the same word, they kind of mean the same thing. But as I was writing it, I realized they aren't really the same thing because everyone has credibility in something, but not everyone has authority on that subject. And when I realized that it helped me really focus the idea that I was working on in my paper. And then that's what helped me focus on what to do for the actual poster board. So
0: this is open to both of you. Talk us through what it was like taking these ideas that you had masterfully crafted onto the written page and trying to then deliver them an entirely different medium for a different purpose than writing this paper for this course and doing this research. What was it like converting from paper to poster?
4: I think you should go first. I need a second.
3: (laughs) So I originally met with Professor Baker and some of the other presenters to talk about it. And we had a good session where we just like talked about the ideas, like how we could translate into a, a poster board. The issue was, is that after doing that, all I had was ideas for how I could write a paper about my paper and not actually turn it into a poster board. So it took a little while of just like workshopping ideas, like what would look good and just figuring out what was a good balance between putting all my words on the board and highlighting the really important ideas along with some good visuals and then doing the rest myself like with the presentation of the board, which is when I settled on having the idea of like building authority through bricks that just like stack up with all the different steps that it takes to build authority. And then I kind of just ran with that idea.
4: Okay. Um, I would say for myself, I really talk a lot. I have a hard time trying to like trim down, so to say, what I wanted to like present and what I want to show. So my board, I feel like, was just a little word-heavy just because I, I I struggle. I, I will admit that I have troubles with that. Um, but it was just trying to, like, figure out, like, okay, what do I put on my board? And how? And I realized, like, okay, I can't put everything. So what I can't put, I'll just, sh- like, speak. And when I was, like, doing my presentation, and I'm just talking, so I might not even be answering the original questions. So I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, but I was like, okay. Well, since this is kind of like a theatrical like board and stuff, let me just make like a little theatrical like monologue, so to say. So when I was giving my presentation and it changed every once in a while um, or, you know, each person, it was a little different. But I had like a little spiel, so to say, and just like a little like, here's what I couldn't put on my board, but here's what I'm telling you. um, And just like added a little flair to it, I guess. So I hope that answers your question.
2: No, I think that was a great answer. Um, and it kind of segues nicely into what I wanted to ask next, what, which was what was the experience like? So, you know, part of Knight's Right Showcase is, you know, creating the, the poster of your project, but then the other part is like talking to all the students that were there that were coming in, you know, stopping by uh, each poster, uh, maybe asking you questions about your project. So I'm interested to know what that experience is, you know what what was that like for you and then also you know did in explaining it to students and maybe answering their questions did you come to some kind of new understanding of your project or new way to talk about your project through the experience of actually like so you know you went from the paper to the poster then to presenting like in front of students that were coming by what what was that sort of you know step like in in the process for each of you
4: um, I would say it was really rewarding. I had a whole bunch of fun, like presenting, um, talking to people about my presentation and, and about my paper. Because like, there's some things that you can write, and you can try and write it to come off a certain way. But then maybe the readers won't always interpret it. But like, when you're giving the presentation, you can like make a joke, and then know that everyone knows you're like making a joke and stuff. So you can add a lot of like flair to the presentation that maybe can't necessarily like always translate the same way like through written word and stuff so it was really rewarding to like talk to people and like get to say like here's how I spent a month of my life last year now you all have to hear about it because I'm talking at you um and I, I tried to make it a conversation um and, but I did say this might be me talking at you for a couple but then please ask me questions and we'll start a conversation um Some people didn't know how to make it a conversation. Like some people were like, okay, and left and that's fine. I I would probably also do that if I was in their shoes. So I get it because yeah, but it was a lot of fun to answer questions and it kind of made me think like, oh, this is a new idea that I hadn't considered last year when I was writing my paper last spring. So it was pretty fun to talk to people and see what they had to say.
3: I would agree with that. Like it was really rewarding and it honestly helped me learn more about what I was talking about. The tricky part was pretending like I knew what they were asking me, and just like acting like I had an answer off the top of my head when I was actually working through it, like in my head at the same time. But it was a lot of fun to like get people involved because, like, since I told you, my like leading pre- question was like about credibility and authority. Um. So what I would do is, I would like if someone had like some defining thing, like a character on their T-shirt or a hat or something, I would like say like you might be credible on blank, like whatever they had on them, but are you authoritative on it? And so like I just did that to like get people involved um, and it helped generally like getting them to like ask more questions afterwards, like understand the topic a bit more. So it was fun to just like mess around with it a bit.
0: So when you're composing these originally in whatever course you're in, it was um, either 1102 with Professor Baker or uh, 3311, which is essay is cultural commentary, also with Professor Baker there are considerations of the audience. You're writing to the professor, you're writing to other people in the class, right? Um, So when you're now changing that, not only changing the, the, the delivery of the presentation from something that is static on a page to something that is interactive and in person with a poster, was there any other considerations that you found yourself making in terms of like, the um, the base level understanding of the audience, like things, terminology you might need to include or explanations of things for students that may not have taken that class or something like that. Was there any of that that went into your thought process when you were either presenting or um, creating the posters?
3: Yeah, so when I took some excerpts from my paper to put on the poster, before I like printed them up, did anything with them, I looked at them and I said, okay, what needs to come out of these so anyone who's not a writing and rhetoric student or professor can understand it? So I just had to like take a look at the language I was using and just clean it up a little bit so it was more accessible, as opposed to like assuming everyone knows the definition of like rhetorical situations and rhetorical appeals and just that kind of stuff, rather than just throwing it out there and being like, yeah, you should already know this. So I'm not going to explain it to you.
4: Um, I would say kind of similar, like I had to figure out like, okay, since I'm my projects like on theatrical concepts, maybe not everyone's going to know that. And I was pleasantly surprised that there were quite a few theater kids. So I was like, I felt very comfortable. So that kind of also changed my presentation a little bit, depending on my audience. But um, I had to just like kind of explain like my definitions of, okay, what does it mean to have literacy in this field? What does it mean to be emotionally literate? What does it mean to have feigned friendliness? Stuff like that. Because um, if I was coming up and talking to Parker about his poster, I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't know much rhetoric um, or many rhetorical devices. So it's important to like make sure that you explain your terms and stuff to people, so that way they know, and then you can like invoke like a deeper conversation about it. So yeah.
2: What was the process like of revisiting this work for Knight's Right Showcase um, you know when it came to thinking about like what effects doing this project you know had on you like now so you know you wrote this you wrote these papers last academic year right in these classes and so you know kind of so part of going to Knight's Ride is, you know, presenting your work, but also kind of revisiting it. You know, you've had a, a semester or two since then, probably done a bunch of other, you know, academic work and and stuff like that. So, you know, what was what was interesting to you about going back to this this piece uh, that you wrote in these classes, uh, not only to reframe it, but the actual like the findings themselves. You know, was were there was there anything that stood out to you that that you realize now that maybe you didn't at the time, or appreciate now that uh, uh, now that some more time has passed.
4: Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead. It was really kind of fun to reread my work and stuff. I was like, oh, I completely forgot that I had this experience, or I completely forgot about this. So it was really fun to like kind of reread and um, figure out like, okay, what can I take from mine and like talk about? I would say in the moment because the t- my topic. Um, about the literacies of like theatrical you know the discourse community it was a very emotionally like intensive time so in the moment when I was doing that I was like oh goodness gracious like this is really tough this is you know I'm in pain I'm tired I want to go like sleep and stuff so in the moment I was like okay you know I'm I'm ready for this to be over but then when I was rereading and like revisiting what I had said I was like That was so much fun. Like, I miss that. I miss doing it. Like, so it was like kind of nice to just reread and kind of remember, like, it was really fun. And I did mention that also in my presentation, too, that it was fun, but it was nice to revisit and remember, like, oh, I spent a whole semester working on this project and it turned out so wonderfully. So it was nice.
3: So I'll start by saying with mine, I wanted to reread all the essays that I had used for the original paper except one of them was in a textbook I had to give back to the library at the end of last semester. So it took a lot of digging to find that essay again. But it was good to revisit the paper um, just because I think of like I've only been here for two semesters as a writing and rhetoric student. But of all the papers I've written, that was one of the more impactful for me just because every time we write something, we use authority or at least we try to build it even without paying attention to it. So after learning the steps that we use to do that and just paying more attention to the rhetorical methods used, it made it like every paper I've written since then, I've considered that in a way that I haven't before. So it was nice revisiting that and just seeing like, yeah, I remember how I learned this. And then here's how I've used that since then.
0: Do you have any other takeaways from the experience of Knight's Right itself?
3: I am better at public speaking than I thought I was. I had a time I was like really nervous because I don't generally like speaking. But once I got there, I got comfortable. Like I figured out my spiel. Like I enjoyed just like weaving people over and just being like, hey, do you know the difference between credibility and authority? Like I had fun with it by the end.
4: I agree. It was a lot of fun. Um, And it was really fun to like, learn how flexible like, uh, talking to people can be. Because like, you're remembering what was in your paper, but then you're having these conversations with people. And it's a lot of fun. And it changes. Like I figured out like my little speech, and then it would change depending on the person. So I, I feel like, my improv skills, so to say, increase just a little, but um, I'm st- I still get off uh, caught off guard sometimes with these questions. We're learning together. That's what I learned yesterday. <laughs> we we learn together. So watch out, groundlings. You're not quite ready for
0: improv <laughs> just yet, but maybe down the road. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
2: Um, we're closing in on a, a, the last few minutes of, of this segment uh, of the podcast. Um, and so I wanted to know, you know, you, you, you mentioned a little bit before, you know, Parker, we're, t- we're talking about how your paper has kind of impacted uh, the work that you're doing now. But um, but I'm interested in, you know, again, in, in the reflective side of doing these projects, like how do you think you've sort of changed uh, since doing the project or, um, you know, yours was about, um, uh, the theater discourse community. So, um, how has that sort of changed your understanding uh, of, you know, something that you're still kind of doing and experiencing? Um, and so, you know, taking from the, the projects that you did, you know, how are those, uh, kind of impacting you like, uh, both in your majors and, and the work that you're doing now?
4: I'll go, I'll go. Um, I would say that I've learned a lot because the, the the like technical theater discourse community is a very like social, very interactive, very like high intense like discourse community, and it's a you're a team when you're in that community and you're learning those literacies together. It's you're in a crew with other people who are going through the same experiences that you are. Um, so one of the things I took away most from my experience was like kind of learning to rely on teamwork and collaboration and stuff. And I find that I use that a lot in uh, multiple like positions that I have here on campus. That teamwork is like, makes the dream work, so to say. But uh, that I would say that's what I learned most. And then just from the literacies um, of the discourse community, I learned that it's everywhere. That these concepts that don't exist just within the textbook of an ENC 1102 class, they're everywhere. You can find them. Even backstage, you can find them here. You can find them anywhere. So yeah, that's what I learned.
3: I think the biggest thing I learned from making the poster was one of the other presenters was actually doing their poster on the same paper from the same class. Um, And we were right next to each other presenting yesterday. So it was interesting how like we both had sort of different approaches to the same subject. And like... I think it did help me realize how just like when it comes to rhetorical theory, there's not always one right answer. There's a lot of different ways you can approach it and still get to the same destination. And like with rhetoric, you ask anyone how to define it, they're going to give you a different answer. So I think that's the same with a lot of theories within rhetoric too. And I think it just helped me see that a bit more.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to join us today. It's always a pleasure to share the excitement and the good feelings of Knight's Right. So thank you for doing that with us.
4: Thank you for having us.
0: Joining us now is Madison Fernandez, who presented on her project, The Marketplace of Ideas. Thank you so much for being with us today, Madison. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit, um, for those of us that weren't attending or didn't have a chance to talk to you, can you give us an overview of what your project covered?
5: Sure. Um, So my project was a creative interpretation of the idea of grand narratives in economic space. So it kind of takes place in a theoretical farmer's market themed experience shopping event um, and it imagines five theorists who talk about grand narratives as vendors in that space Um, so kind of thinking about the cost of the grand narratives um, what that theoretical event would be like um, and it kind of considers um, whether you're buying something or believing in something the way that it impacts other people
0: so that sounds like it would be ripe for translation between the written page as a paper and a presentation in a poster. What was that process like for you from taking this well-thought-out, beautifully written essay and trying to highlight the key ideas and points into something that is a three-dimensional poster project for this type of event?
5: It was actually a lot of fun. I, I had someone ask me yesterday during the poster presentations if I did like any revision over the course of the project, and I realized I've kind of done... Like three different iterations of it. So the class that I did it in, um, Rhetorical Traditions, you have a point in the semester where you can go back and kind of revise or revisit or create something new for a project that you've done before. So I did that with this. Um, and so in the first installment, I made kind of a scrapbook to represent the event. Um, and then in the next one, I made a website. And then this is kind of bringing all of those things together and then creating a poster. Um, so I think in revisiting it, I realized that the narrative and the kind of things that I was focusing on with it um, shifted a little bit. Um, I think in the first one, it was kind of thinking about the idea of um, themed experiences. What does that space feel like? The space that the event would be theoretically, who would be there? Um, and, and also the, the cost of the narrative, so something that I was thinking through. So like, what would it cost to like buy something from the Hegel table or the um, uh, Karanga table or something, for example? Um, and then I think in the second iteration, I was thinking about like, what is the appeal of this event? What is the appeal of a grand narrative? Um, why would you want to go there? How would the people who are running the event advertise it? And in this final version or this this current version, I was thinking um, kind of about access, you know, who would have time to go to this event, who would be able to afford to like have a table at a farmer's market, um, maybe who wouldn't be invited. And what what would you do if you were there and you didn't find something that you were looking for. Um, so it's, it's really been a lot of fun. I think as far as putting together the poster, um, I already had a scrapbook, so that's fun. I had a visual element off the bat. And then um, my website wasn't too difficult to like represent. I did like a slideshow of that. But I think as far as the narrative, I had a lot of fun sort of putting together what was the end piece going to be, because originally it was sort of theoretical, like imagining if the scholars, uh, you know, like if Kant, wanted to start selling jam or something and then in the second iteration it was more literal like if you were going to like buy a book from Kant or like believe in the things that Kant is saying what would it cost and in this version i kind of got to merge a lot of those ideas and i think that's how it turned out being about a lot of things that it was so i enjoyed the chance to revisit all the all the themes that it came up along the way
2: it's really cool that it has gone through so many different iterations and you've done so much process work through this. Um, I'm curious how did you decide on the farmers market as being sort of the the, the space or the or the frame uh, for this because there you know, I'm sure there were maybe other things in the in consideration in the running perhaps but you know what was it that that kind of can you walk us through the process of you kind of settling on or, or, or deciding on you know the the farmers market being, The one that you thought worked best?
5: Sure. Um, I think for this one, it kind of was a natural outpouring for me. Um, We were talking in class about Bacon's Idol of the Marketplace. Um, And so that's kind of considering the idea of shopping with the metaphor of ideas. So I guess Bacon kind of put those together for me. Um, And so I was sort of considering the idea of like shopping for an idea. How do you evaluate ideas, things like that? Um, And then there were sort of two art references that I already knew of. Um, So one of them was Lucy Sparrow did an art exhibit where the artist took a big box store and filled it with handmade felt groceries. So it would be like a hundred little handmade chicken noodle soup stuffed animals. They were all foods that are like mass produced. Um, and then the other one is Maria Wickstrom's book, Performing Consumers, which is about how stores are themed experiences. So it's a space that makes you feel like an actor, like a person who belongs in that space. Um, so think about how you feel in an Abercrombie versus a public. The space is designed to make you feel like someone who would buy something if you were there. Um, So I kind of put all those ideas together and the farmer's market just made the most sense. I don't know if I was wanting it to be about access originally and that's maybe where the idea of like food as a form of privilege maybe came from. Uh, That didn't really end up being a central part until a little bit later. Um, But I feel like it just sort of came together naturally for me and um, I had this class with Dr. Wheeler and I took rhetoric of pop culture with her last spring um and i also did a creative project for that one um i think you have an episode about that one too the class with gaga we do. um it's, <laughs> so i knew that um you know i could kind of ask her if i could do something creative with it and she really encourages that so i had a lot of fun um putting it together and kind of talking it through with her but i think the idea of the farmer's market really naturally came out of the the thing with bacon and sparrow and wickstrom
0: I love that because there's so much to a farmer's market than you would first consider. You know, you have the difference in the types of vendors. Um, you have the people that are making things themselves. You have thing. you have. And then you have people that are bringing in things that are pre-made. And there's like the frowning upon that, like, oh, that doesn't belong in a farmer's market. That's that's like they didn't make it. They didn't grow it. They didn't make it. Um, you have the the variety and the people that are actually doing the selling is it the person who created or grew or is it an is it an in between you have the the difference in the types of people attending a farmers market you know it's a great place for people you know maybe with money to feel like they're being um, like oh yes I can I can afford to buy from the farm itself because that represents like who I am as a person versus um, you've got people who are like oh no produce is way cheaper at the farmers market I'm gonna go there um, so you have like this wide variety in the consumer you have a wide variety in the actual you know in the vendors so that's a really interesting um, metaphor to consider these these rhetorical frameworks um, given that kind of similar. In, this is going how, how, how do I make this sound nice? <laughs> pleasant and nice? When you have attendees and presenters at Knights' Right, you also have a variety of levels of experience and expertise. You've got professors, you've got first-year writing students, you've got um, grad students, undergrads, everywhere in in between. So were there particular considerations you had to make um, when you're delivering this information outside of a class where you're surrounded with um, other students who are familiar with these ideas and concepts, a professor who understands what you're trying to do? Were there any other considerations that you made in then um, drafting and creating this poster presentation of these ideas?
5: I think so. Um, I think something that kind of came to mind while I was presenting and talking to different people is um, the idea of prior knowledge. And maybe this is just association um, because I work at the Writing Center. So shout out to the Writing Center. Shout out to <laughs> um, the Writing Center. <laughs> but it's this idea of, of what do you already know before you're coming into something, um, idea transfer. You don't want to like assume that the other person has definitely heard of X Y Z, so um, I, I would try to make it a point to like define what a grand narrative is and and kind of talk about the general idea of like what a few of the scholars said so that the concept made sense um, of like why am I representing you know Kant in this way metaphorically? You you kind of have to have that base understanding. I also made sure to make um like a little chart and I think that helped and I think it even helped me to be more succinct when I was explaining it. Um, but yeah, defining key terms kind of mentioning the scholars, that sort of thing, I think was a was a main consideration. And then anytime I would go into that spiel and it would be a teacher, I'd be like, oh, no, you you probably know already what this is. But um, yeah, I, I think that was the main thing that I was thinking about.
2: Did you get any interesting questions from students uh, that kind of made you think about, you know, either your, you know, what you did in your project or the way you were presenting your project? What were, what were those interactions like uh, day of, during night's right with, with everyone kind of coming up to, uh, it, to you, you know, perhaps asking questions about your project or, or you kind of explaining it, I'm sure, multiple times uh, in multiple ways uh, throughout the day? What, what was that sort of day of experience like for you?
5: Yeah, I had um, some people ask me kind of how I landed on the artistic format. And of course, I, I love to talk about that because I had a really good time putting that together. Um, I had someone ask me about the revision process, which kind of kind of encouraged me after all the the different versions of the project. Um, and then I had someone ask me if there was like a takeaway or like a final sort of answer. Um, and so as I was trying to talk through that, I was like, no, it's it's supposed to be like an like an experience that asks you questions and then sort of you get to pick the answer. So the themes are there, but maybe the the definitive takeaway is, is up to you out of those things. Um, but something that I thought about was how the the event itself sort of represents um, like capitalism is a, is a grand narrative. And then each of the people there are thinking of different things. Each of the theorists, and, no. Each of the theorists have a different idea about what the, the grand narrative of the world is. And so I was thinking about how, you know, some of the scholars I might not have read if it hadn't been for this class, like Karanga, for example, I hadn't read before the course, and, and thinking about different cultural rhetorics. That's something that we go over during rhetorical traditions. Um, and so just, I guess, not being discouraged, being willing to look for, um, for other scholars and other pieces. And so this person and I had talked about my research process a little bit too. So maybe that's why this came up, but I was like, you know, looking in different directions and looking at other cultural rhetorics can um, it can be really helpful. I feel like I really learned a lot from that part of the course. Um, yeah. I think those were some of the most interesting questions that I got.
2: My next question is, you know, how do you see um, kind of the, the influence of this project that you did um, kind of shaping the way that you approach uh, what you're doing now uh, and the work that you're doing now um, in, in your classes? Um, has there been, you know, some kind of takeaway for you um, from doing this project that you think is is uh, kind of still an influence or, or still something that you think about when you approach Uh, new pieces of research or new pieces of writing for you?
5: I think so. Um, I think someone asked me about some takeaways from the course when I was um, sort of talking through the poster. And I realized, you know, a lot of the theorists that we talked about in the class, I still reference in context with with new things that I'm learning in in other courses. Um, I also think just the the fact that you can make something more creative and still find meaning in that you can do different formats like there's not one strict thing that um writing has to look like in the same way that there's rhetoric and all of these different things um you're not limited i guess by the medium um if you're you know course requires that then i'm not trying to say that you shouldn't do that and, and of course i i ended up writing sort of a traditional cover letter to go with this. But um, I think the intersection of writing the cover letter and like making a website and then making a couple of like physical pieces, I really learned a lot from like comparing what each of those processes looked like. So yeah, don't be afraid to, to do something different with the medium.
0: Is there any advice, other advice you would give to future participants, um, either good or bad, that you learn from the process of doing this, like pitfalls or like, hey, don't be afraid to embrace? I know you just said the multimodality component, but is there anything else that you would share um, from this experience for our future Knight's Right participants?
5: Hmm. Uh, the multimodality, I agree with. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were drawn to ones that had like multiple things going on, and even me when I was looking around, I was like, oh, that one's really colorful. This one's really exciting. Um, I would say pick a topic that you're genuinely interested in. There were so many um posters where the topic really drew me in. Um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, if you're if you're thinking about it, definitely go for it and present something. it's It's a lot of fun to see what everybody did. Um, yeah, and then thinking about audience while you're, talking to, to people, defining the key terms. I, I think those were the only the only considerations. But yeah, everybody should, should go to Knight's Right or present at Knight's Right. Um, I feel like you really do learn a lot between the, the panels and putting together a project, all those things.
2: Well, great. Thank you so much, Madison, for joining us for this uh, segment of the special Knight's Right showcase episode and, and for sharing all your experiences with us.
0: Yes. Thank you yeah, so thank much. You. So fun to share in the passion. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Our next guests are Ariel Fide Mark McCleskey, and Mackenzie McElroy, who are panelists speaking at Night's Right about the Writing Center. Tell us more.
6: Uh, yeah. So, um, In the panel, I'm going to be talking about what we do in the Writing Center, what it looks like, what the sessions um, offer for students, and also just basically what it offers for people working there.
7: I'm going to be talking about uh, the research we do and inquiry projects and how those kind of work inside of the center and outside as well.
8: I'll be talking more about the professional development that the students get through the committees we have at the center. Okay.
0: Okay. Mackenzie, as both a returning guest to the podcast and a real veteran of Knight's Right, um, what sort of preparation did you do um, approaching this? And of course, this is open to all of you as well. I just had to take a moment to give a shout out to Mackenzie. What was the preparation like from practice to panel for you? I'm really getting going with the hard hitting questions. I know. I know.
7: Oh my god. Um, so for me, the panel that I'm doing, or the part of the panel that I'm doing specifically, is all new content that like I've never really talked about before, and so I really had to think about what I really wanted to say and like how I wanted to convey it and the important like points to hit. Um, and so I kind of just wrote out some bullets then started going from there, and then we practiced a few times and went through it together and just kind of refined what we did have. I got feedback on mine specifically because I didn't know um, like, if the stuff that I was including was good content, like if it was easily understandable by an audience outside of the writing center. Um, so once I got that feedback, I was able to kind of refine it more, and I think we went through it one more time all together. but I've definitely read it to my roommate several times, so it's kind of my process from it.
6: Yeah. For me, um it, it was like partially written out, so the process was like personalizing it and a lot of it was thinking about what can I um offer personally um with my experiences that's unique and just what about my experiences in the writing center would people want to hear about
8: Um, I started off with an outline and went with my outline and just develop it developed it as we came together and kept revising. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way to say it. Okay.
0: Was there something in particular, though, that was like, this is um, like an area that is specifically uh, like interesting to you or has like something in your practice as tutors that has led you to this idea for these presentations?
8: I think like in sessions it's kind of, Well, hold on. Can you repeat your question?
0: Absolutely not. I, I'm just talking. <laughs> I have no idea what I said a moment ago. No, I'm kidding. It was...
8: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I. Was there something specifically that has come from your experience as a tutor that has led you to this, uh, to talking about this particular topic in your presentation?
8: I think from starting at the Writing Center and not being able to, like, speak out just because of my shyness and being a tutor at the Writing Center for three years has helped me get to the point of where I can speak in front of people about my experience at the Writing Center.
2: So I'm curious. Um. What were some of the things that you uh, that you mentioned in your panel? So, like part of you know what we want to talk to people about in this episode is you know um, kind of what what they're getting into for either their posters or, or for you all uh, for your panel presentation. So you've kind of mentioned the the areas that you that each of you will focus on, but um, but what were some of the things uh, the kind of key points or, or kind of main takeaways uh, that all of you kind of wanted to not only uh, talk about in your presentations, but also talk about to like the Knight's Right Showcase audience? So for me, a lot of it is trying to get rid of
6: a lot of the myths that surround the writing center. Like a lot of students that are outside of the writing and rhetoric um, department or, you know, still in the department, they think about the writing center as something that's for students that have um quote bad writing which just isn't the case so it's trying to get them to understand that we come from a place of collaborative learning where everybody in the situation in the environment is learning and growing together
7: sorry Um, so for my part of the panel, I'm talking about inquiry projects and the research that we did. And so specifically, I'm going to go into the fact that like I started research my first year at the writing center, which I'm in my third year now. so that was two years ago. And I've taken that research. I've done focus groups with different faculty. I've done an open house with the faculty. I presented my research at multiple places, but then I also used that research to write a research proposal for my uh, research methods class in writing and rhetoric, Use that to like further the research, then ended up using that proposal and revising it and used it for my grad applications for rhetoric and composition programs. So I'm kind of hitting like, yes, we do work in the center. Yes, it betters the center, but it has purposes and it has uses outside of the work we do. And it, it's helped me like professionally develop.
8: I think some of the main point, points that I focus on when I'm speaking on the panel are that as tutors, well, the outside appearance of tutors is that we're just there for our 45 minute sessions. But through all the other work that we do, we've developed so many other skills just outside of um, editing and like being there for writers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of um, showing the university the work that we do in writing and rhetoric. I know that you're not all writing and rhetoric majors, but <clears throat> the Writing Center is an extension of our department, it's a big part of it. And I think there are a lot of myths or stigmas about the Writing Center. And um, I think it's also really important not only to see that um, our tutors represent such a wonderful cross-section of our student population, it's not all writing and rhetoric majors, but also that it gives students the opportunity to do real research throughout their academic career as undergrads. That's something often that doesn't even come into play in a lot of majors until you're a grad student, that you're actually able to do this sort of uh, multi-year revisionist, like look at the data and let's see what else we can do with it. So I think that's a really important um Highlight of Knight's right to show like that peek behind the curtain of what's actually going on in the writing center and it's funny because I say peek behind the curtain it's the big fishbowl like in Trevor Colburn Hall it's not like <laughs> it's a real mystery like it's not like you have to have a secret password or pull this certain book on the shelf and the door opens kind of thing um, but it is wonderful to reveal to students uh, and at a, at a, a lot of the university population what it is that actually goes on there
2: yeah so I was wondering if you all could kind of um, you know, you've talked a little bit about, um, you know, preconceived notions of, of what's going on in the writing center. Um, you know, can you talk about a little bit from, from your own experiences, you know, how the reality of that is is kind of different than, than what people might sort of perceive it to be as... Mark, you said, you know, a place to sort of fix uh, something, you know, uh, when that's not really the case, the, the sort of more uh, collaborative aspect of working in the writing center. Maybe you have some, you know, uh, personal experiences with that, that, that you might want to share that might be insightful for, for other students to hear about.
6: Yeah. So like working the front desk at the writing center, I hear people passing by and they'll say like, that's the writing center. Um, yeah. They'll say like, that's the writing center. And they'll say, like, I don't use it, though, because I'm a good writer. But I have sessions with such great writers all the time. Um, I recently had a session with somebody working on an undergraduate thesis for biomed, and he was looking at, like, it was written so well. But what we could do in the session together was I could just provide, you know, just that extra Like pair of eyes and provide some sort of like validation for him to help him say like, yeah, you're on the right track. Um, These are my thoughts and this is what I'm pulling from what you're saying and we can just bounce back and forth from there.
7: I also, like my favorite sessions that I have at the Writing Center aren't ones where writing is actually already like created or like we're doing writing in the session. It's like the brainstorming. And so a lot of students don't understand that like if they have their assignments, especially from 1101 and 1102 classes where there are these students who are coming into college and they're encountering a completely different type of writing. And so they don't even know how to understand the assignment or they don't know what they want to write about. And so being able to sit down and brainstorm some ideas with them kind of help them figure out. You know, some, what are some topics that they could talk about? What are um, things that they can explore? And helping them understand that they do have the capabilities and the knowledges to complete this writing, even if they don't feel that they do. Um, I think those are like, that's kind of the biggest thing that I get out of my sessions and stuff like that.
8: Um, so one thing that I've really seen in all the sessions, most of the sessions that I've had at the Writing Center is that there's a lot more emotional labor in a positive way, then I would have thought within my first year that a lot of the work that we do is just trying to get the writer to trust the process and trust us in the 45 minutes that we have with them. So that means sharing a little bit about ourselves to get the writer to share more about them. And I think that is what really makes our sessions different and like make our sessions work with the students of UCF.
0: Did you have any um, considerations when you were preparing this in terms of delivering these messages to an audience of people that may not be familiar with the Writing Center or may just not be familiar with our program in general or what it is that we do? Um, Did you have any like real considerations on how you adapted the research and work you've done to a broader audience?
7: (laughs) Well, I I was going to see if someone else wanted to go. (laughs) um but yeah that's like that's something that I really struggled with whenever I was writing mine was making sure because I'm talking about research and I'm talking about like specifically writing center stuff that people don't understand unless they're in the writing center I wanted to make sure that what I was writing could be understood by students who like I said like have no idea and so having to kind of understand my audience and go through I went through my uh, what I had written multiple times to make sure I wasn't using like either like language that was they weren't able to understand or just complicated topics and stuff like that so having to break that down was kind of a big thing whenever i was writing mine
6: for me it was breaking down like my process of getting into the writing center because when i was being recruited by professor brian i was taking his class um uh, writing and rhetoric foundations and that was my first semester in the program so it was taking myself back to what it was like um being introduced into the program and all the concepts. And I think people could connect with that, that kind of outside, and then trying to provide the insight that I've gained from there.
8: I think, well, sorry. The question was like your connection to everything. Um, what kinds
0: of adaptations did you have to do knowing that you're presenting to an audience outside of like writing
8: center peers? Oh, okay. I understand. Um, I think. Well, I don't think I really needed to change much because most jobs do have committees and we talked about what committees. Do. Well, my portion is talking about what committees do. I guess it's for me, it was more changing, showing how where I came from, like how I got to the writing center, how I've developed as a person, and how that connects to committees was probably the biggest challenge in adapting it for a group of people to hear.
7: I think something with yours, too, though, was the fact that you had to explain what committees are, like why we have them, because you're giving context to the audience as well. And so I think that definitely also contributed to you having to understand your audience and giving them the background information that they need to understand what you're going to continue
8: to talk about. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Related question. Um, What are the committees and and what do they do? do? (laughs) um,
8: The committees that we have at the Writing Center are social media. uh, So you can follow us at our... What's this?
7: What's this? UCF UWC. <laughs> Look
8: at that. <laughs> on um, which platforms is that? On <laughs> Instagram. Okay. Is our Facebook still thing?
7: Our Facebook does still exist. I'm trying to revamp it. And so that's just if you search UCF Writing Center, I think it should come up.
8: Okay. Um, we also have the workshop committee, which hosts and our k- workshops that happen about once a month and it's open to all C- UCF students and they create the content and host for students to learn about APA citations, MLA, integrating resources, and things like that. We have a special events committee that puts on special events throughout the semester, such as our book swap on Valentine's Day and words of affirmations, and our open mic nights that have happened the last two Halloweens and uh, this upcoming spring. No, at the end of the semester. Any other? The newsletter that Mackenzie runs. (laughs) Yeah
2: yeah tell us about that
8: (laughs)
7: yeah and so (laughs) we have a committee that creates a newsletter it actually started two years ago yeah because i was on i was on the committee that actually started it um and so we wanted to create a dialogue about writing at ucf and so we have columns that are one of our directors will write about just like writing that they're doing we have a tutor write about writing that they're doing we have a writer from the center we try to get like maybe if someone has a recurring writer that they have um getting them to write either about like what what it's been like coming to the writing center, how their writing is going, like what kind of stuff they're doing. Um, And then we also have tutors talking about inquiry projects that they've done. So research that they've done in the past and like what came up from it? What did they learn? Um, And then we also have like a column that's, just talking about like common assignments that we see in the writing center. And it that initially started as like, we have a bunch of resources on our website, but there are things that we don't have resources for. And so just having that column in the newsletter, students can look at that and see, oh, you know, I need to learn how to write a literacy narrative for my 1101 class, but the writing center doesn't have any sources on their website specifically like from them. So maybe I wanna go look at the newsletter and it's there. And so it's just kind of, like I said, creating a dialogue about writing, at UCF
0: is the newsletter linked in the writing center website. Yes, it is, is UCFUWC.com.
7: It is uwc.cah.ucf.edu I wasn't and it's even close no not at all
2: yeah, we're, we're not a dot com we're a dot edu
0: <laughs> <laughs> I <was> being
7: <laughs> intentionally I don't know. yeah wow yeah. you get a lot to say about dot the writing org. center dot net. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so it'll be on our website and it's um linked under i want to say it's like events and newsletter or something one of the tabs newsletters on there um but that comes out once a semester kind of toward the end-ish of the semester. And so we're hoping the next edition will be out um, mid-April.
2: Yeah, that's one of the things that I always think is is great when I hear about, you know, the University Writing Center activities is beyond, like, helping, you know, individual students, it's also, correct me if I'm wrong, like, trying to engage, like, the community uh, and being sort of uh, or a hub for, you know, talking about writing and, and doing all those kinds of events. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, um, what happens with, with some of those, you know, uh, brainstorming ideas about how to engage, um, you know, the, the UCF community or maybe the, like the, the Orlando community at large or even the Writing Center community Uh, nationally, uh, any of those uh, kinds of levels, um, if you all want to share like what some of those conversations or what some of those goals are like.
8: I would say that the way we handle engagement with the other UCF students would be through our social media accounts. And uh, one of the major things that we've done this semester and last semester were our brackets on our stories. (laughs) And our brackets are mainly we allow um, everyone to vote on random topics. So this month, since it's February and it's Valentine's, we're doing rom coms. So we allow everyone to vote, and then we all just get to see who which which rom com everyone thinks is the best one for this month. And then last fall, yeah, last fall we did Halloween candy for October, and that was just fun to see what candy everyone likes. And then. For Orlando at large, um, I think Professor Brian has uh, workshops for high school students where they can work on applications, and he allows some of us to come and help students there as well. So I think that's a great way to introduce high school students to what services will be at their university if they decide to come to UCF.
7: Yeah, and we do the brackets for like engagement purposes of like getting people like looking at our social media because they see like, oh. They have fun at the writing center like they want to be a part of it and so that's how we kind of get them to come in and see what's going on and we also like we have it written on the board like Ariel t- spends a lot of time with the ruler writing out the brackets and so students come in and they just kind of look at it and they're like oh what's going on like in the middle of one of my sessions last semester I was working with a writer and she just like zoned out for a second and looked at the board and she goes oh Kit Kats won that round and so like that was an opportunity for us to like talk about it, it was, I don't remember if it was Kit Kats I'm not gonna lie but it was like something specific. She was like, oh, that. And so, you know, writers are saying that, oh, you know, like we are real people. We're having fun in the writing center. This isn't just we're not just like clocking in, tutoring and clocking out like we're we're having fun. We're doing work. It humanizes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. And all of our communities are our committees. I mean, all of our committees are community like focused, like the workshops that's just providing our services to students that may not think about or wanna come in for sessions and we can just talk about one topic, our open mics, um, the special events committees, that's just providing something fun where students can just engage with something that is like writing related.
0: Well, I, I know it's getting close to when you'll actually be presenting at Night's right? so I hope that these, um, like some of these links to resources and things will be available to students to see that are attending your panel and you know have the chance to really get more invested in the experience as a student with the Writing Center to support them in all the stages of their writing.
2: Yeah, and we're uh, closing in on the time we have for this particular segment, but I wanted to, to kind of throw the question to you all uh, about what is it that, that you think you get personally out of working uh, in the writing center, whether it has to do with like your other academic work or, you know, maybe uh, some future plans that you have, uh, what's the thing that, that keeps you kind of, you know, motivated to to, to work there, motivated to continue to work there uh, as all of you do? Uh, and, you know, if you could just share, you know, some of those experiences or things you, you get out of it uh, to the audience. For me, it's just
6: experiencing everything in the studies is just right there in front of you you can see it in the writers and you can see it with every all the other tutors you just kind of engaged in all of the concepts of rhetoric
7: yeah um i do a lot At the Writing Center, I do committees, Uh, I've done different events and stuff like that. And so I'm getting like leadership experience, collaboration experience. And then with our inquiry projects, I'm getting research experience. Um, But specifically, like, I want to teach students. And so, like, I want to teach at the college level, which I've figured out since last time I was on the podcast. Because last time I kind of (laughs) was like, I don't know what I want to do. But I've really decided, like, I enjoy working with the students in first year composition. Like, I love the content and I like being able to help those students. And so, My work in the writing center has really like fueled that and has um, definitely solidified what I want to do. And so it's giving me experience, although it's not necessarily teaching. I am helping teach. And so I'm getting that experience there. And so I think
8: that's the biggest thing that I'm taking away from my work at the writing center. Um, In my future, I would love to work in law and developmental policy. And I know that takes a confident writer. And at the start of me working at the writing center, I thought I was a decent writer, but I wasn't the best. But through tutoring and through helping other students, I've developed my own writing and become confident in my writing identity. And I think that is what has helped me for the future. Also with like the aspects, like you were saying, collaboration and leadership through committees and through our research has really developed who I am as a professional in the workplace.
0: Yeah. I love that you highlight that because I think that's a common myth is that in order to be involved in the Writing Center, you have to be like the greatest writer ever. And the Writing Center is really more about fostering people that are interested in learning and improving and taking those experiences and like really applying them to their to their own journeys. So yeah, I think that's a great way to end. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about the Writing Center and Knight's Write. And I wish you a very successful panel. And again, yeah, we're always happy to have repeating guests and new guests. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With us now are Natasha Odom and Raya Smith. Natasha presented a poster titled Main Suspect Crime Dramas. And Raya has the exigence of paradigms. First of all, I mean, I'm not trying to give preference, but exigence is one of my favorite words of all time i say that to all my students in 1101 and 1102 i'm like you want to impress people is start throwing that around like a thanksgiving <laughs> when you go home be like yeah i'm considering the exigence of social media posts and they like will not ask what? you any more questions um <laughs> so tell us a little bit give us like a recap of what
9: your projects were about you want to go sure okay so my idea behind the crime drama aspect was basically because I'm a forensic science major and I was tired of people asking me if I chose that because of Criminal Minds. So I was like, let me look into the show and see why people are thinking Criminal Minds is forensic science. So I chose to analyze three episodes on that, basically see if that was an accurate representation of forensic science, which I knew it wasn't, but I wanted to see to what extent that really was for the viewer who has no understanding of science. And I found a lot of the times they didn't distinguish the roles between the scientists and the FBI agents on the show. So they show the agents doing everything. The technology they use on the show doesn't exist. It was developed years after the episodes were aired. So that was surprising that maybe the show had some connection to the development of the technology later on. But ultimately, it's The jury being impacted as well, because they think they know everything based off what they've seen on TV, when there is no correlation between TV and reality in this case. Okay, so is Criminal Minds the one with the girl who has like, she wears
0: pigtails and stuff and the goth makeup and all (laughs) that? Okay, all right, just making sure there's a few, so I'm just making sure I'm thinking of the right one. Okay,
10: cool. Um, So my project is the exigence and Paradigms, and I, I originally made that as a paper for Dr. Wheeler's class, Rhetorical Traditions, and there's not many projects that I feel like I've made that I got really excited about, but this one I got really excited about, and so I knew that I would have a lot to offer because I was excited about it. I wouldn't just be like, well, this is the information. Like, I knew I had stuff to overflow because I knew a lot about the topic area. So, I mean, it's very abstract it's obviously, like, from the words, it's how paradigms come about, and exigence was, like, a key word there, not just the origination of paradigms, but exigence, because exigence implies that there's certain things that cause it to be. So, what are the certain factors that cause paradigms to originate in our society? Why are new cultural norms instituted I to like all of the people that came up use the illustration of TikTok like why did TikTok become such a popular app and so kind of is that because there wasn't an app like it before scientifically or because we wanted deeper connection interpersonally so kind of like reconciling the difference between science and rhetoric was kind of the big thing so yeah it was kind of strange explaining it to people because there's so many terms to define but I feel like it worked out but yeah,
2: so I'm curious um, for both of you. Can you talk a little bit about the process of taking the work that you did, um, you know, in, in each of your classes? Um, Raya, yours was in which which class again? were my Rhetorical
10: name? traditions. Rhetorical
2: traditions, and then and Natasha, you were in my ENC eleven o two class when you when you did your project. Um, so I'm I'm interested, you know, in terms of the Knight's Right showcase, what it was like to take. Those projects and kind of revisit them and recontextualize them into these uh, research posters and presentations. I wonder if if you could both talk a little bit about that.
10: Well, I guess putting it into visual form is really difficult um, because it was an essay. And so I was like, gosh, how am I supposed to use visual cues in order to illustrate this best? So I mean, it was it was a good challenge. And I found that it helped a lot putting it into visual form. And for a lot of it, I just kind of like included the normal things like hypothesis, inquiry, conclusion. So that kind of stuff was pretty easy to lay out. But it was most like the theory and all that kind of really in-depth stuff that I was having a difficult time putting into visual cues. But I mean, we figured it out. So I guess that was kind of the journey for me when it comes to putting this project together is how do I condense this, not only first into text that's condensed, but into imagery that's condensed. So that was was the big thing for me. (laughs) The hardest part for
9: me was probably translating the length of my essay into something understandable for an audience that might not have even heard of the show. So I was trying to explain it in a way that made sense So big visuals in the center of the poster I thought was important to show the difference between the show and what it really is like in real life. So like the testing that doesn't exist, and then the cliche of always the dark medical examiner's office versus the reality of it where it's bright and they have the PPE on, all of that. But I liked it more because it was a conversation explaining my findings. And then I also saw people's reactions to it, They're like, oh, every time I watch it, I thought that's how it was. So, like, you could see how shocked they were based off my findings.
10: That's cool. Hmm.
9: So you kind of
0: touched on that um, already, but I'm curious, um, was there anything that you learned that was either, like, a new consideration of your research or, um, like or you learned about like yourself in the process of, of um, talking to students when they were walking around and looking at your posters and you're having to relist this information to them. Was there anything you took away from that that was new or exciting or changed your perspective at all?
9: Uh, well, through my research, I found that a lot of the people already doing research on the topic, on the whole CSI effect, they don't have an understanding of science. So they would use terms interchangeably like, Medical examiner and coroner, which are not the same thing. So, then a lot of their findings weren't accurate. So, that's why I chose to do criminal minds. It has a younger audience. And then I also know the difference between those terms. So, I wanted to see how the language would develop. And then explaining that to an audience who might not also understand what that is was interesting because I've had so many conversations where people don't know the difference. And then they also didn't understand what forensic science really is, applying science to the law. They're like, oh, so it's like, just law, it's just this. you go and testify in court, not really. So explaining the bigger idea there
10: um, I feel like one thing for me is i I had to clarify a lot of questions with people. I mean, first and foremost, a lot of people didn't think that there was scientific exploration involved in like the implementation of TikTok. So given that that was my primary example, a lot of people are like, how is science involved in like, tiktok and i'm like well you have to code algorithms there's like immense programming that goes behind creating such a multimodal app you know like it's a lot of exploration to figure out how you can overlay text and audio and again algorithms like that's such dense code that you really have to explore to make it such an interpersonal app like the fact that there's no other app like it like so i, I think that was a big thing is that there is Scientific exploration behind even things like app development. Um, But also just densing down theorists, and that theorist, what I kind of realized from that is that the theory that I'm learning in my classes isn't necessarily always nuanced information. It's just new organizational ways of thought that these theorists are bringing up. So, like when it comes to Vedic rhetoric, like when she was talking about the difference between speech and thought versus speech out loud versus the beginning of an idea, that's not necessarily something that she invented that's just something that melfi put names to of something that already occurs um so that's kind of another thing that i was like oh that's interesting
2: so how was that uh, and again for both of you taking these you know kind of more complicated things that that are in each of your studies what was that like talking to students like in the event, you know, uh, during the poster events, you know, I know all my my classes were there, um, you know, and everyone was kind of going around talking to all the presenters. How did you find yourself translating or uh, explaining some of these concepts, um, you know, to, to other students that were just sort of walking up almost without any sort of preconceived notions about, you know, some students knew what were going to be there, so... Example, uh, Natasha. I told some of my students about your project that was there, and um, and actually one of my students in class on Monday was just just happened to be wearing a criminal's <laughs> cr- criminal mind sweatshirt, <laughs> and I was like, that's that's really a great coincidence. Um, but anyway, uh, so my question is like, what was it like to, to as students were just approaching to to sort of be that expert and kind of take these concepts and explain it explain it to them?
10: Um, one thing for me is I asked them their major before I started. Discussing analogies. So whenever I was explaining the project, I was like, okay, let me explain it in term that you identify with. What's your major? They would say, okay, aerospace engineering. I'm like, all right, well, let's think about this in the context of spaceflight. Spaceflight is scientific exploration that's based in a want for meaning-making in something. And then I had other people come up, and they would say, oh, English, oh, math. And so I would try to form analogies around some type of academic conversation that they could relate with. So that's one thing that I did. And at first they they're like, why are you asking me that? (laughs) And I was like, you'll see.
0: (laughs) Rhetorical awareness coming in clutch. Yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
10: How about you, Natasha?
9: Uh, I would say I asked them first if they were familiar with the show because I also realized that maybe I'm a bigger fan of the show than the general (laughs) audience because even though I know a lot of it is fake, everyone there, they're like, yeah, I've heard of it. I've seen a few episodes. But they don't have, like, an attachment to the characters or the plot. But that did make it easier for me because then I was just explaining the science within the show. I wasn't saying... Oh, well, this character really has no scientific awareness throughout the show. It's these were my findings, and this is how it's important for us beyond watching TV. Cool. Yours speaks to me on a personal level because um <laughs> my
0: father in- law was Career Navy. And so anytime there's a movie or TV show that has anything related to something with submarines, we all just like immediately turn to him and wait for him to be like, that's wrong. Uh-huh. They'd never do that. That's that's nonsense. you know. And he'd like just t- debunks the whole you know, mystery of the scene. So I feel like you'd be an awesome person to watch any kind of movie yes. or TV show <laughs> <laughs> that has to do with forensic science. Because I could just turn to you and be like, what is it really? <laughs> My it down sister for hates
9: it. Every time we're watching it, she's like, did you learn about that in class? And I'm like, That doesn't exist. And she's heartbroken every single time.
0: (laughs) Do you have any advice for future Knights Right participants now that you've gotten it under your belt? I know you've both presented on a panel, Raya, as well as posters. Um, Do you have any advice for future Knights Right participants that are thinking
10: about doing this? Just do it. Just do it. I literally, like two days before, was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I was thinking about all the time that was going to go into the poster. And I was like, I cannot explain this worth anything. And then I was like, Mom, should I do this? And she was like, yeah, why not? And I was like, all right, answer enough for me. Let's do it. So if you're thinking about doing it, just do it. Just go for it. You'll enjoy it.
9: I would say to choose a topic you're passionate about. That makes it so much easier yeah. to do the research and then talk about it with People who might not know what you're saying. So that's the best part, actually sharing what you found. Because if you're already spending so much time on something you're interested in and then being able to share that with people, that's where it's worth it.
2: Yeah. I'm curious, what was it like to go back? You know, part of presenting at the Knights Right Showcase is kind of looking back at something that you've done a couple of semesters ago. So I'm curious, like, what was that process like for you? Did you? realize something new about your work or appreciate something new about your work in um, going back and and not only translating it into a poster and a presentation but just just from the the time that you've had between when you wrote wrote it in the context of a class and then kind of going back to it so can you talk a little bit about that what what that was like for each of you
10: I feel like it was kind of hard because I have not had a class like Rhetorical Tradition since I took it. Like, I have not had a class where I discussed theorists and what, you know, like, it's been so long since I've been in that kind of conversational modality if that's the right word and so like a lot of my other classes have been like professional writing or writing with communities and nonprofits where it's very application based and straightforward and so for me I had to like get myself back into the mentality of what it was like discussing theory and um, interpreting theory so it was both difficult but it was also nice because I loved that class so I'm glad that I had the chance to revisit it but I just hadn't been in that mindset in a while so. I would say the same for me.
9: It's a different way of thinking because all my classes now are mainly STEM. So it's like going back into the other part of my brain and thinking how do I explain this in a way without using all this jargon, this heavy terminology Mm -hmm. that people can actually digest. Yeah. And not giving too specific of examples so that I still get the idea across.
2: So uh, my next question is, you know, how can you connect or, or what connection do you see between, you know, this particular work that you presented at Knight's Right Showcase and uh, some of the work that you're doing now, either, you know, in your other classes or continuing with your major, um, you know, what are some of the sort of uh, takeaways or, or things that you're, you're using from this particular experience um, in your classes or, or when you think about, you know, even, even beyond your classes, beyond your major, uh, and, and how you're kind of, uh, been affected by, by doing this project?
10: Um, let me think. I think I'd got great practice explaining concepts to people first and foremost, because I was doing it for two hours straight. You know, I'm like, I'm before whenever people had asked me about the stuff that I learned about, I felt like I didn't have much to say, but after that, intense practice. I feel like I'm able to hold better conversations about it. Um, I feel like I got greater exposure to the types of projects that also exist within rhetoric, which is really cool because sometimes you just do your work you turn it in if it's a discussion post maybe you see other people's stuff but I thought it was really cool to kind of get exposed to the ecosphere of all that people are doing because like Natasha was saying everyone's doing stuff that they're interested in so it's cool because when you go around you don't just see projects you see like the people that you work with and the people that you have classes with and what they're really passionate about so I think it was cool just to kind of get introduced to a bigger conversation yeah, I would say the same thing. Just
9: talking about what you're passionate about with people. Can you repeat the question again?
2: <laughs> no. Yeah, sure. It was. Uh, I was just thinking about you know when you're thinking about the the work that you're doing now. You know, um, was there anything that you you know take from the the paper or the project or the experience at nights at Nights Right that that you think you may you know use uh, in a in a future class or or you know, in a future, like maybe even professional situation?
9: Yes, I think, well, I'm going to the conference next week for a forensic science conference here. So if people joke around and ask me why I chose forensic science, I have something ready to say, oh, well, I actually conducted research on this. And it's not criminal minds. I'll have something ready every time someone asks me. So I think that part's kind of cool.
0: That's fantastic. It's always so fun. I I call it contagious enthusiasm when you get to um, when you get to talk about things that you're passionate about and you're excited and seeing other people respond and react. And it's it's just so much fun in those moments when there's that energy in the room and people are really connecting because maybe they just have like a, a little bit of an understanding or an exposure to the, some of these concepts and seeing them in application, like you're saying, like getting to walk around the room and seeing how people are applying their own experiences, their own perspectives to these um, like shared ideas that occur across the different curriculum in our department and how fun that is. So it's always fun to share in that excitement with the the presenters and the students. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we're uh, closing in on the time we have for this particular segment, but um, I wanted to ask... um, what are you all uh, working on next? What's on the horizon for you? What are you excited about? Um, again, this can be in terms of like a class or a project or, you know, uh, Natasha, I know we talked briefly, you have an internship coming up. Um, yes. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to to share some of those things that, that you're kind of looking forward to that are coming up for you.
9: Um, I'm also a GEMS mentor. So Mentoring the incoming students for forensic science, keeping them interested in the program and helping them be successful, I think that's really important, especially because the program is geared towards women in STEM, so keeping them part of STEM. And then I'm also going to do research this summer with Dr. Hansen, and that's on body fluid identification. And then she uses some micromanipulation techniques, which sounds scary, but she singles out cells To see if it's a match with things found at crime scenes. So I'm really excited for that.
10: Wow. That's so cool. (laughs) That's way cooler than stuff that I'm about to say. Um, I'm going to write a grant proposal for one of my classes, which is kind of cool. That's cool. So yeah, we're working. (laughs) I work in a nonprofit now. So I think it'll be really cool. I don't work in any type of donor relations. So this is my first exposure. I'm usually in like media management and stuff. So it's my first exposure with grant proposals um I'm trying to think of other stuff I mean for again for my job that I do I manage media so I think being able to just refine a lot of my rhetorical skills and being able to run campaigns and I think what's awesome is I'm able to apply what I learned directly to what I do like simultaneously so I mean it is kind of hard sometimes to work and do school at the same time but it's so rewarding because I'm able to implement those tactics like right then and there so yeah Well, thank you so much for taking
0: the time. I know that yesterday was a lot in all the presenting and talking you've done. So we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about that experience today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Closing out the episode, our final guest is Brendan Kelly, who presented on Rhetoric and Tragedy, an Exploration of Identification and Narrative in Sending Letters. That's a lot to unpack. That's so incredible. So talk to us. Give us an overview of your project in general.
11: Yeah, sure. Um, So I wrote this paper in ENC 1101. And the prompt was, um, explain a time where you've used rhetorical devices like in casual writing. And that reminded me of a time that I um, started this letter exchange with my grandfather when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was about 16 years old. Um, And I decided to start writing him just because we were very close when I was younger. Um, But, you know, time and distance, we became estranged. So, and he was growing older and so was I. So I just wanted to revisit that, kind of reintroduce myself. Um, So I decided to write him letters. Yeah. And as I reread those letters for um, my ENC class, I noticed that I had used rhetorical devices without really knowing it which was super interesting, um, specifically identification and narrative. Um, I did that by identifying subtle ways in my writing that I could tweak and kind of change to appeal to an elderly man. You know what I mean? Cause like as a 16 year old, I can't write him too casually. And especially my grandfather, he was very big on formality and respect. So I wanted to be very um, mindful about that. Um, as well as narrative um i narrated different stories that i felt kind of summed up my character encapsulated who i am what i stood for because the whole point of the letters was to reintroduce myself to him and like let him know who i was what i stood for make him proud you know that's really
2: fascinating um so what were some of the things that you noticed so what i think is really great about your project is you know it's it's a, it's a rhetorical analysis, but it's a rhetorical analysis of your, your own writing in a, in a particular time and place. So um, what were some of the things that, that kind of stood out to you in, in doing this, you know, kind of undertaking of, of looking back at these letters that you wrote? What were, what were some of the strategies that you kind of saw yourself doing? And then how did that kind of take you back or, or did it take you back to that moment of, of you know, writing those letters?
11: Um, looking back at them, it was kind of funny because, um, I was a 16 year old trying to sound very formal and, um, like older, but it didn't really work out too well for me. Um, it was pretty horribly written (laughs) actually. Um, but he appreciated it nonetheless, which is nice. Um, and I revisited some stories that I kind of forgot about that were a really big deal to me back when I was younger, and um, I revisited, like, a very emotional part where I decided to come out to him, my grandfather is gay, and that was really intimate, revisiting that and um, looking at how I formed that, you know, formed those sentences to appeal to him.
0: Wow, that, that just... I feel like asking. I had another question I was going to ask you, but now that that was so impactful, hearing that, um, so you're taking a topic that's incredibly personal and meaningful and has a lot of weight to it for you, and you're now um, choosing to share that not only in your class when you wrote the paper because you're sharing it with your professor and possibly your peers for peer review, but then night's right is a chance for you to also like share that with the with a greater. Um, student population, a greater cross-section of people. So what was that process like in, in particular with it being such a personal and weighted topic? That's not like you were doing an analysis of, you know, your favorite TikToker or something. This is like a really meaningful and and um, and personal thing. What was that like for you?
11: Um, at first I was a bit hesitant. Um, I didn't really know what I could put on the board because obviously I didn't want to put the letters themselves just because That's a bit too personal for my comfort, especially with that many people looking at it. So um, I talked to my mentor, Joel, and he suggested that I just take out quotes, maybe put some photos of him, photos of me and like kind of incorporate different parts of our personalities. So um, on one half of the board, I put like this map because he was like this big world traveler and then on my side, I put like line paper and different references to literature because I really love to read and write.
0: So you have this process of transforming not only your experience into a paper, your paper into a poster. Then what was it like to um, have the time where you were talking with students individually that were reviewing the posters and, and you had a chance to you know, both explain your project and answer questions, what was that like?
11: Um, it was definitely interesting. I would say that's, like, the most I've talked (laughs) in a while. Um, it was nice. It was nice sharing that part of me with other people. It was nice unpacking it, um, and talking about it, you know. Did anything
0: surprise you about the experience, or was unexpected, or...?
11: Um, hmm. I was surprised, um, by the small amount of other personal essays that were being, um... Presented, that was a little bit um, unnerving for a second because I find it kind of fell out of place. I can tell you, I can
2: speak to that a little bit. Um, I think at Nights Right Showcase, like w- what ends up getting submitted for Nights Right Showcase a lot of times are, you know, the ENC eleven o two like research projects. So I can imagine you kind of looking around at the other presenters, seeing like more research projects. Um, but yours is is kind of the type of work that that we're wanting to like get more of in Knights' Right Showcase because we really are, are trying to make it, you know, both eleven o one and eleven o two, and really like just the the kinds of variety that's available for students to explore and the kinds of variety of work that we can kind of celebrate and, and feature. Um, so, you know, main point being don't feel bad about it or don't, don't feel like out of place. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where we're, we're really trying to show like all the different kinds of projects that students do. Um, and I know like I had all my classes, uh, at Knight's Right Showcase, uh, on Wednesday talking to all the post presenters. I had several students come up to me and, and mention yours specifically as, as being one that they, uh, they really liked and they, they really enjoyed and they thought was, was really unique uh, and interesting. Um, so you know I'm wondering, did you have like students asking you know particular questions that that stood out to you um you know when when they were coming by and talking to you about your project?
11: Um, I would say the most frequently asked questions were kind of about my grandfather as a person because um the photos that I had of him on the board were very good. There was one of him boxing which was super interesting, and a lot of people asked about that, which was nice.
0: I remember seeing that, yeah. yeah. It was very um, captivating visually, yeah.
2: So did you think in a way that, you know, you talk about narrative as a feature in your paper um, as, a, as a strategy that you used, but um, did you find the whole process like kind of also telling a narrative about who your grandfather was as well, um, you know, in the process of either writing the paper or now looking back and and kind of presenting or, uh, or thinking about your own work?
11: Yeah, uh, most definitely. I um, definitely characterized him throughout my paper and the board. Um, he's very open-minded, I would say, definitely ahead of his time. I mean, um, when I came out to him, he was very gracious about it. He was very kind. Um, To give you an idea, he doesn't even eat at Chick-fil-A. Like, he's very, yeah, he's a good man. And characterizing him was empowering, I would say.
0: What was the hardest part about looking at such personal narratives objectively through a scholarly lens? What was that experience like?
11: Um, At first, I would say kind of... Um, finding a tie between such personal writing and academic writing, that was pretty tough at first. But um, I reread those letters so many times. And after doing that and, like, looking back and forth, I finally got the hang of it. And, of course, Miss Richardson helped me out with that. Yeah,
0: she's she's excellent that way at helping to, like untie the knot, so to speak. You know, she's good at, at getting in and problem solving.
2: So I'm curious um, if you can kind of think back to, to being in um, Professor Richardson's class. Um, what were some of the either like readings or concepts or, or things from that course that you um, maybe kind of sparked your interest not only for this project but this kind of in general to to have kind of a different kind of approach to a type of study that you could do do you remember what what some of those were for you that
11: stood out um there were a few articles in particular just um literally about approaching your writing and um the right way to do it versus the wrong way to do it and um that kind of allowed me to enjoy writing a lot more than I ever have been. Um, ENC 1101 was a great class for me because before then I wasn't really much of a fan of writing because especially in high school it's all very standardized, formal, not very fun at all, but um Ms. Richardson definitely like cultivated an environment where I felt like I could really enjoy it and express myself.
0: I love teaching 1101 and 1102 because they give students often for the first time the chance to approach a project that is that has a personal connection to them, which, like we we're just saying, often writing up until then is very, um, it's task oriented. I'm trying to demonstrate an understanding. I'm trying to prove that I know this thing. I'm going to write this essay or whatever it is. So I love that 1101 and 1102 and our first writing approach really allows students that freedom to practically apply what they're learning in class to their personal lived experiences. Um, so is there anything that you've taken from that, ex- that class or that experience of that paper that you have seen yourself kind of carrying forward in your other work or personal life or anything like that?
11: Um, yeah, definitely. Um, it's helped me develop a style of writing that um, I think is pretty unique to me. Um, it's helped me write a lot more personally if that makes sense. Um. Sure. Can you uh,
2: think about like examples of where you've kind of applied some of the experiences that you had from this project to um, other pieces of writing, either like personal pieces of writing or uh, even approaches that you've had to other kind of academic assignments or, or things that you've, you've been writing recently?
11: Um, yeah. Um, I have, actually been starting to write poetry a lot more recently um it's really great as like an outlet for me and i definitely revisit a lot of um just the things that we've learned in enc 1101 definitely um whether that be like rhetorical devices because quite honestly i didn't really know what they were before that class and how i can put that into my writing to get my point across um and i can really use those through any forms of writing whether that be like my personal poetry or like different case studies for my classes all things of those sorts
0: I think that's one of the the other things about 1101 is it gives students the opportunity and 1102 as well. It gives students the opportunity to realize that their voice matters, Um, you know, because, again, it's not like you're just doing this writing because someone gave you a topic. But like, what is your perspective? And that's really valuable to bring to the writing experience. It makes engaging writing. It makes the process more somewhat less painful for the writers. Um, So if we have other students that are listening to this that are thinking about maybe being a participant next year, um, is there any advice you would give to them based on your experiences at Knights' Right doing this project?
11: Um, I would definitely say give yourself enough time to um, prepare for everything because finding that poster board was very hard. I don't know if anybody else has told you that, but... I had to go to at least like four different craft stores to find it. So yeah, definitely give yourself enough time. And I would definitely say to do it because this isn't like an everyday chance that you get to have. um, I liked it a lot. It was a great experience.
2: Great. Um, We are closing in on our time for for this particular segment, but I just wanted to open it up and, and see if you wanted to talk about any um, kind of future projects that you have coming up or, or things that you're kind of looking forward to either um, in your own uh, uh, writing or, you know, maybe in your classes or majors or, or things that you're kind of looking forward to on the
11: horizon? Um, that's a good question. Um... As far as my writing goes, I don't know if I have any plans other than just personal writing and things of that nature. But um, I did just apply to study abroad. So that's something on the horizon that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And I think that would probably inspire a lot of personal writing for me.
0: Be a great opportunity or excuse to dabble in some writing and journaling just so you don't ever forget any of those moments because what a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's always so nice to talk about the experience with our Knights Right participants and thank you for sharing all of that information. It was it was really lovely to hear that personal connection and um, get that experience today. So thank you so much for joining us.
11: Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you.